Amen. Thank you, guys. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you, as always. Thank you for joining us for worship uh, here at the Vista. Um, we are always, always, always glad that you have chosen to be here. Uh, I'm going to jump right in uh, just because I've got a, a very limited amount of time this morning and a lot of information to cover. Uh, we're going to be in the tiny little New Testament book of James. Uh, it's towards the back of your, of your New Testament, back of your Bible, uh, James chapter 3. If you want to turn there, we're in the sixth week of our series, Us For Them. And over the last five weeks, we have been talking about how we just want to change the narrative, right? The narrative since the beginning of time, since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled in the garden, has been us versus them. Constant conflict, Satan, the father of lies, the father of antagonisms. He loves it when uh, God's creation, God's people are just at war with their fellow man. They, he, he loves it when there's conflict among humanity. And so it's always us versus them. We said it, said it even in our, in our day and time, in our age, there's a, obviously a, an election coming up and that just increases the animosity and the antagonism. And it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on and it doesn't matter which news network you watch, it's us versus them, right? We, it's not that we want to win, it's that we also want them to lose. And it's, that's the story of mankind. It's us versus them. And what we want to talk about, and really the reason we want to do the series, is that we just fundamentally believe that the church, God's people, it ought to be different. Rather than us versus them, it ought to be us for them. We want to be known as people that are for our neighbors, we're for our city, we're for our world. And so to do that, we've got to be people that roll back the antagonisms. And James uh, is going to talk to us today about one way that we do that, specifically with our words that we use. So James is the younger brother of Jesus. Now, to be clear, he's the half-brother of Jesus because they had different daddies, right? Jesus was uh, born of the Virgin Mary. God the Father was his father. Uh, after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph get married and have other children. They have family. James was Jesus's younger little half-brother, which, let's be honest, that had to be hard on little James, right? I mean, your older brother is God, <laughs> Why can't you measure up to your older brother, right? Like, that's, that's some big shoes to fill. Um, but James grows up, and he ultimately believes in uh, Jesus and places his faith in Jesus. He goes on to become a pastor. In fact, he goes on to become uh, one of the pastors at the church in Jerusalem, which really was the epicenter of the Christian faith, and he becomes a pillar in the church. James's words carry a great deal of authority for not just his own church in Jerusalem, but really for all of the churches as Christianity began to spread, uh, the words of James became very, very important. Believers would hang on his words. And so what we have in this letter of James that he writes, it's a lot like Proverbs in the Old Testament. It's full of just practical wisdom. James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament, man. It's full of practical wisdom from Pastor James straight to the church. And in chapter 3, Going with our series, he's going to talk about the use of our tongues. He's going to talk about the words that we speak and basically say that our words carry a great deal of weight and our words absolutely matter. So it'll be a good, good word for us today as well. So I'll read it, James 3, verses 1 through 12, and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So right off the bat, there's a weighty uh, hard word for me, right? This is a uh, really important for those that are going to teach the Bible in particular. Um, 
just, just, to, just to be very, 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 very careful with what you say. It goes on in verse two. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. Then James gives three um, illustrations for us, okay? He says, uh, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships then also. Uh, Though they are so large, they're driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. Third illustration, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, or your version might say a small spark. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield yield fresh water. So James has really important message, practical wisdom to the church, right? And this is so important for us today. Our words absolutely matter. We've got to be extremely careful. And so um, he just starts off by giving three pretty obvious illustrations, right? And the first one is uh, putting bits in the mouths of horses. Now, I know our church, we have a lot of city folk, right? We have a lot of city folk. And so maybe you have never seen a bit that goes in the mouth of a horse, right? So this is a harness. This goes over the nose of the horse. Horses are rather large animals. They have been used throughout society for a lot of things throughout history. They've been used in military conflict and battle. Uh, They're unbelievably strong. They're unbelievably fast. Uh, They're used in building societies. They're used in agriculture. They've been used throughout history for a lot of things because they're, they're big, strong, powerful, fast animals, right? The key is to harness that power. You've got to harness the power. And so what's crazy is that what James is getting at, Pastor James is saying, look, a bit controls the whole animal. The bit is just this small part right here. The small part right here, you put over the nose of the, of the horse, and this thing right here goes in the horse's mouth. And literally, this power and strength and the speed of this horse can be controlled by just holding on to these reins. And if you, if you tug to the left a little bit, that horse's head's going to go to the left. And if you tug over to the right a little bit, that horse's head's going to go over to the right. And if the horse is traveling, you can just pull back a little bit, and that horse is going to to back up, all because of this really small piece right here. And James is essentially telling us that, you know, while the tongue is a really small part of our body, it has unbelievable power. It has unbelievable power. If left unbridled, if left unchecked, The tongue yields this unbelievable power that can be very, very destructive. Second illustration that Pastor James gives us in verse 4 is the rudder of a ship. Ships are these large vessels, and they're controlled, though, by a very small rudder in the back. This is a picture of the Bismarck. The Bismarck was a German battleship during World War II. It was uh, launched on February 1939 by Hitler and Nazi Germany, and it was feared in the open seas because it was the largest battleship in the world at over 823 feet long. 
It weighed over 42 tons, and it was also, for its size, unbelievably fast. It could travel over 30 knots, uh, and that was really fast for a battleship that, that size. It had numerous other armaments. It had eight 15-inch guns um, and a targeting computer that was state-of-the-art for its day and its age. It was feared um, by the Royal Navy. It, it, this ship actually sunk the HMS Hood, which was the pride of the Royal Navy, and it sunk it in one shot because it was so deadly accurate. On the high seas, they feared the Bismarck, and they knew they had to do something about this ship. So, on May 24th, 1941, under the cover of darkness, the Royal Navy found the Bismarck, they tracked it down, and they attacked it by air and by sea. And they, they literally uh, didn't have much effect. The armaments uh, could not be pierced, and so they had little effect on it until finally one small torpedo found its mark and hit the rudder. You see, the one weakness of this great mighty ship was an exposed rudder underneath an exhaust vent. One torpedo found its mark, hit the rudder, and the ship, the Bismarck, could no longer maneuver. As a result, it just went in circles because it could not maneuver. And therefore, by air and by sea, the Royal Navy attacks it, and ultimately they sink the Bismarck. Pastor James is simply saying, look, our lives can be, we can, we can think that we're big and strong and powerful, we're solid, we're successful, we're impenetrable. But, but the tongue, the words that you use they might be the small thing that undermines everything else in your life. That might be the one vulnerable part of an otherwise strong and sturdy life is this small little thing called the tongue that releases incredible devastation. James's third illustration here is of a small fire, or maybe your version says a spark that sets ablaze an entire forest. We have a, a live shot of California right now, and I'm only halfway joking because... I'll give you some stats, but in California alone, since the start of this year, there have been over 8,500 wildfires, over 8,500 wildfires. They've burned over 4.1 million acres. There's been 31 fatalities and over 9,200 structures completely destroyed. Now, you might think a lot of these wildfires are started by, you know, natural thing, lightning or whatever, but the U.S. Forest Service actually says that 85% of wildland fires are started or caused by, by humans. And, and almost all of them start with something very, very small. Things like small campfires that get out of control, uh, small equipment that backfires or malfunctions, cigarette butts that are carelessly discarded out a window can all start really, really small and quickly turn in to utter and complete devastation and destruction. Now, I know that most of us don't live in the forest, right? We, we don't live near a forest. Some of us may have never even seen a real forest, right? So trying to bring it a little closer to home, I actually called a fireman this week that goes to our church, and I said, hey, man, I've got some fire questions for you. And, uh, and so he was like, what you got? And so I just asked him a couple simple questions. I said, tell me about the rate of spread. How quickly can a fire engulf an entire home? And I didn't have any idea. I didn't know it was like an hour. Does it take 30 minutes? Like what? What does it take for a fire to engulf literally an entire home? And he said, look, with building practices and furnishings today, he said a fire can literally engulf an entire home in less than five minutes. I was like, wow. Less than five minutes, a small fire can engulf an entire home. And then I said, okay, 
what, um, what are the primary causes? You know, when y'all go put out a fire, and after you do the, do the, the research and figure out what causes most of those fires, and he, and he quickly said, uh, small things. And I was like, oh, you're fitting right into the sermon this week. That's perfect. Small things, right? I said, he said, yeah, no, biggest causes of home fires, small kitchen fires that get out of control, extension cords that overheat, space heaters during the winter that are left too close to other structures, candles that are left unattended for a long period of time. Every single thing he mentioned that is the primary cause of most house fires are small things. Small things, right? I mean, this is what Pastor James is trying to tell us. James is trying to say, look, our words, our tongue is a fire, and it can lead to unbelievable destruction and devastation in a very, very quick time frame. Sometimes we, we say something and we think, well, it was, just a, it was just a quick comment. It was just a simple little comment. Uh, but that simple little comment can lead to utter devastation in, in no time. And so Pastor James gives three really great illustrations as he's talking to the church about the tongue and about the words that we use. And so I want to just leave you with, with three things really, really quickly um, that I think James is just trying to remind the church of. As we try to roll back the antagonisms, as we try to not you know, live into or give oxygen to uh, the way the world operates, what are some things we need to remember about our words? The first one's very simple. I've already alluded to it, but it needs to be repeated and needs to be re- we need to be reminded of it often. And that is simply that we have got to be people in the church that are careful with our words. We've just got to be very careful with our words. Proverbs chapter 3 I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse 3. The writer of Proverbs says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but whoever opens wide his lips comes to ruin. That's just one of many, many examples of the Bible telling us to guard what we say. The Bible tells us over and over and over again to be very careful with our words. And the reason is because our words are a window into our heart. Our words are literally a window into our heart. That's what Jesus said. On multiple occasions, Jesus tied the words that we say to to what is inside our heart. A couple of those examples are in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A few pages over in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. The Bible over 900 times mentions the heart, and it's not talking about the physical organ pumping blood throughout your body. It's literally talking about the essence of who you are. It's talking about the soul. It's talking about um, what's deep, deceit of your emotions. So you'll hear, people, you'll, you'll hear people say stuff like, man, don't judge me. You don't know my heart. And I say, well, I don't, but I hear your words, and they're a pretty good indication of what's in there, right? Pretty good indication of what's in there. That's what Jesus said. We've got to be careful with our words because our words are a window into our heart. They're a window into our heart. The second thing Pastor James is trying to let us know is that we've got to be patient with our words. We've got to be patient with our words. Back to James, uh, our main text, the same same guy that wrote what we're, you know, chapter three that we're looking at, one page over in chapter one, James tells the church, know this, my beloved brothers, Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Pastor James tells his church, guys, we got to be slow to speak. I joked in the first service, I was like, 
Some of us, man, we need to, we need to highlight, underline, put in quotations that slow to speak part, right? Just to make sure you know I'm not a hypocrite. That's the way it is in my Bible, slow to speak. You know why? Because I, this is reading my mail right here. This is, this, is, this is super convicting for me because I'm the kind of person that when I feel hurt, when I feel wounded, when I feel attacked, I want to respond very, very quickly. I have a tendency just to maybe respond or, or say something really, really fast. My wife and I, we're wired very differently in this regard. My wife's more of a processor, right? She's much more of a processor of her thoughts before she, before she you know, responds to someone. So she'll come home and she'll tell me about maybe a, you know, a run-in or a conflict or a situation at work or whatever it is, and she'll be trying to tell me kind of what happened, and I'm a fixer. Any other of you like that? Like, if you're going to tell me about a problem, I just want to fix it. I just want to fix it. If you're telling me there's a reason and I need to fix it, right? Just a little clue. That's not always what they want, right? So my wife's trying to explain to me, and I'm just like, well, I mean, why didn't you just say that? Why didn't you just respond with, or why didn't you just ask them? And she's like, I didn't think about that in the moment. I didn't, I have to think, I have to process it, right? And to be clear, her way, way better than my way. Because let's be honest, most of the time when we are feeling attacked, when we are hurt, when we are wounded by the words of someone else, if we quickly respond, and by respond, I mean with our words, but also press send on that email a little too quickly or post that tweet a little too quickly, most of the time, after we've had time to process it and think, the way we would have responded would be way different if we just take some time and we're a little more patient with our words. James is saying we've got to learn to be patient with our words because once those words are out there, we cannot get them back. Once, those, once, the, once the email is sent, once the tweet is, is posted, you can't just reel that stuff back in. And so we've got to learn to be careful with our words because they are a window into our heart. We've got to be patient with our words because once they are out there, we cannot get them back. And finally, we need to be life-giving with our words, life-giving. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the writer of Proverbs says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life, you literally have the power with the words that you speak to bring destruction and death or to bring life. We need to be people that speak life. This is the same thing the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, verse 29, the Apostle Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That's speaking death, by the way. Then he says, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. That is speaking life. That is speaking life. We need to be life-giving with our words. Now, here's the thing. There are times where you have to have difficult conversations, right? There's times when you have to learn to say hard, there things, hard things have to be said. And so we're not talking about being people that walk around just pumping sunshine everywhere we go and never acknowledging difficult things or conversations, never rebuking anything. Like there are times you've got to have those harder conversations with maybe some harsher words, but here's the thing. And the best illustration that I've ever heard is we've got to learn to be a coach rather than a critic. We've got to learn to be a coach rather than a critic. So a coach and a critic, they can often say the same thing, but it's received very, very differently. You know, a, a critic, to be a critic, like, it's easy. Anybody can be a critic. You don't have to know someone. You don't have to care about someone. You don't have to love someone. You don't have to be concerned about their well-being at all to be a critic. The goal of the critic is to tear down. The goal of the coach is to build up. And 
Coaches can say the same thing, but the timing and the tone are very, very differently. The, the goal of the coach who cares about you, who wants the best for you, who wants to get the most out of you, he can say some hard things, but it's received when you know the coach actually cares and the coach is simply trying to get the best out of you. Listen, when you are attacked, when you are wounded with words, you've got to ask yourself, how can I respond? Can, am I going to respond and be a critic or am I going to respond and be a coach? The critic speaks, I mean, again, at the end of the day, destruction and, and the coach speaks life. We've got to learn to be people that are careful with our words, patient with our words, and life-giving with our words. And I just want to end really quick with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, this is the words of Jesus. He's talking to the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, and he's getting on to them. I mean, he is getting on to these guys because they are like what James says later. They are literally speaking with forked tongues. They're saying one thing, they're saying something else, they're contradicting themselves, they're trying to be spiritual and holy and pious, but then they're, they're doing a lot of sin and destruction and speaking, and there's just, Jesus has had it. He has had it with these guys. And he gives them a pretty stern word here. And again, I think it's just a really great word for us to be reminded of as well. The words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 33, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Listen to this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus ties our words to our heart. And literally, it says, salvation is at stake here. You're going to be justified or condemned by the words you speak that are an overflow of what's inside your heart. So James and Jesus are literally saying the same thing to those of us that, that want to follow Christ and pattern our lives after him, that we've got to be very careful with our words because they are a reflection of our heart. We've got to be very patient with our words because once they're out there, we cannot reel them back in. And we should be people that speak life with our words. Let's be coaches rather than critics, right? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful today for the truth of your word. And God, your word declares about itself that it is active and that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces sometimes. And God, I know I, for one, I need that. I need that conviction in my life. God, I pray that we would do our part here at the Vista Community Church to just change the narrative from us versus them with all the sharp antagonisms. God, that we would change that narrative to us for them because we are careful and we are patient and we speak life with our words. So God, would you help us to do that? Would you give us grace for that? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.